Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Hi, welcome to At The Source. Today we're in Brighton and excited to be speaking to Jack Southern and Will Dennard, co-founders of Wolf's Mouth. Chances are if you're from around here and you're into your food, you'll probably already have heard of these guys. And if you've not eaten their food already, they currently have a restaurant and four residencies in the city and two more in the pipeline. They make interesting food with flavours inspired by food from all around the world. Amongst other things, we're keen to find out where Jack and Will get their inspiration from. So let's get stuck in. Uh, thanks both for having us. Yeah, great. Thanks, thanks for coming. Yeah. Over to you, Karis, for the first question. First things first. We usually we ask, what is your first memory of food? But seeing as there's two of you, we'd <laughs> like to know the first memory you have of food together. I'll let Jack take this one. Well, <laughs> I wasn't a chef until reasonably recently. Well maybe three years now. And I, so I travelled a long, a long period of my sort of adult life since I left when I was about 19. And then I came back and was broke and a friend of mine offered me some work in London and it turned out it was Will's Kitchen and he was the head chef of this place on, on Hackney Road. So one of my first experiences eating with Will was in a brunch service where we had about 250 people booked for lunch and I was straight on the pans cooking... Probably pans of 40 eggs at a time. Oh, wow. <laughs> piles of bacon. And I'd never done it before in my life. And so my first experience was probably shoveling down, like, the scraps of poached eggs, <laughs> like, at the back of the KP section in this restaurant, <laughs> going was, down, like, in the worst way. It was pretty brutal. We were at the end of Columbia Road's flower market. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, people just used to just, just pile into this place. I mean, we'd be doing quite a sort of... Quite a heavy, quite a large base brunch menu. And I figured it's the best because it's, you know, there's about nine dishes on there. And I figured it would be the best baptism of fire for yeah. Jack. So you gave Jack a job. Yeah. He wasn't previously a chef and his mm. first task was to fry 40 eggs. Poach 40 Poach eggs. 40 eggs. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there was an one. extra element to this is that I was three hours late to my trial shift <laughs> <laughs> because I was in a different town than I should have been. For the beginning of my trial shift. With a bit of a headache. What, a bit was, of a headache. I was going to say, <laughs> was there any booze involved? But I think yeah, you answered yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the chef's life. I needed to go in with a with a bang, I guess. And he impressed me immediately with that. You know, if you're going to be that brazenly late, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. That's it. Yeah. Good to know. Mm. I have any job as a chef. Yeah. <laughs> so, we already know that the plan for Jack was not to be a chef, but Will, what... How does that work for you? Um, well, funny enough, I I was when I was about thirteen, fourteen. I'd sort of tried to start paying my way by working in kitchens. Like I, I grew up just outside London in a small village, so sort of the laws weren't as as strong as they are now about mine is working. <clears throat> so I was working on the KP section, on the salad section. That sort of sort of funded me through school, and then I went to uni to study music, and I sort of realised pretty quickly that that wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Uh, so I came back and I was sort of jobless and penniless and I realised I could actually do, I had a sort of two, three years experience in cooking. So started working in some restaurants in my town. I sort of discovered that I, I really enjoyed it. And I went to go, I went into London to work for some pretty pretty big names and it just sort of escalated from there. 
And I was just, I was just wanted to be a bit of a sponge and work in all the different types of places. So I went three Michelin star places. I worked in street food places. I worked in sort of pretty cool hipster venues. I worked in really traditional places. And then, yeah, that was sort of my working life from about, yeah, 19 to 23, 24. I did a stint in, um, in Spain as well as a head chef there. Came to Brighton and it's all sort of kicked off in a really different way. But yeah, I mean, I sort of fell into it as a lot of chefs do, but it was, the, you know, you fell into it at a really young age. At a really young age, yeah. So, <laughs> so sort of haven't known anything else. So tell us about Wolf's Mouth. How and when did that all start? Uh, it started because I was working, actually both of us were working in another restaurant, in which I won't say the name of, but we were, it was on the seafront in, in Brighton. And it was probably one of our, our worst experiences. It wasn't working. the harvester. It wasn't the harvester. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a different name, but um, we've only, we've only been Brighton for two years actually, so it wasn't um, anything that we had planned to do. But we were in this kitchen, and it was pretty much the worst experience I've certainly had in my cooking career. And I think we were just looking out at an empty restaurant, or I oh, know, no, no, it wasn't. It was a post two hundred and fifty cover re- like evening. That was right, and it was awful and we decided at that point I decided that I didn't want to work in cooking for anyone else necessarily and we came up with the name Wolf's Mouth and it was, Will had this idea of a concept of doing pop-ups and things it actually took us probably another six months after that until yeah. we went full-time doing it but that's when the kind of the idea was born and then we went on to work together at another restaurant called Plateau which Will was was the head chef of um, and I think I was seeing it's probably one of the best restaurants in the city and i saw it that will would reached his kind of the zenith of what he could achieve financially and i was like well if i'm already at this level now i don't know how much more and then i don't you know only end up at thirty-five thousand a year if that's what you do and i was like why do we make the money for everybody else when mm. we could do it for ourselves maybe and so we kind of we had our first pop-up just around the corner actually uh, a place called cafe plenty and uh it made some money, and I quit my job after about three weeks of doing that. What, uh, you, what was the pop-up? Tacos. So we did. Went straight <laughs> well, in. With funny us. enough, before that, we did an event. Uh, our very other first event was in um, Dawson in London at oh, Chefs, yeah. Yeah. where Jack and I were sort of. We had the concept ready, and a friend of ours had just opened a bar in Dawson, and he had kitchens free on Sundays. So he was like, "Come down and just do do your thing," and we did it, and we ended up making. Way more than we could have possibly Made a thousand pounds in an afternoon. Yeah, we, I mean, we thought that's how the rest of our lives would be. From then on in. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, it really, really didn't turn out that way. We're like, well, look, we can do this in one night. We'll be millionaires by yeah, yeah, yeah. next September. Yeah. Not, not at all. But yeah, we did. Yeah, we did that in, uh, in plenty, and then yeah, it all sort of escalated pretty quickly. I, I think Jack. The thing, the thing is, Jack and I have a, a bit of a can-do attitude, mm. and our initial ethos was just don't say no. Even if you don't know how to do something, just say yes and then work it out as you go. That's actually something that's come across in quite a few of the podcasts that we've recorded because obviously we're kind of searching out these people with a cool food story and quite often it's where someone's just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to give it a go. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, for the the listeners, we actually originally tried to organise this podcast about six months ago when we had really bad snow and couldn't drive over since that time we've had to kind of scribble out our notes and add a few more places because you're <laughs> you're growing you know mm. really impressively so there was a joke around brighton that we just we take everywhere and it's like we're on a path to destroy everyone else's businesses <laughs> which is great 
But you know, I'm not sure how well we go down with all the other the other traders. <laughs> on a on a on a serious note, is there a point where you will go, okay, we've we've got too much now? <laughs> uh, every single afternoon, every yeah. single day. Um, no, I mean, I mean, what it is, it takes it it takes up a hell of a lot of Jack and I's time, obviously, and but obviously as the as the seasons change and the the, the restaurant. Um, the restaurant climate changes and people like trends really affects us sort of immediately, just second by second. So mm. some weeks we'll find Jack and I are, are spending our time working out these issues. Sometimes we actually have to be in the kitchen and the times that we, we're ne- it's necessary that we need to step in is the times that we feel that it's unmanageable. But the minute everything picks up again, then we can take a step back and we're like, ah, oh, we've got time to open another one next week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, um, it literally varies because it's such a young business. I mean, we are we are working out. I don't I don't think there's a limit to what we what we want. I mean, no, <laughs> I've got. Enough. I don't exactly know where it's going to lead to. I mean, I've got ideas of what I would like to achieve in Brighton, certainly. But then there's London, there's Bristol, there's lots of other cities. Mm. Um, but it would. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's physically until we reach our limit. I don't think there's any plan to to slow down until we physically can't, <laughs> <laughs> which it may happen, but I'm not sure. So the thing that's quite nice about you guys is that you've obviously got um, experience where you're doing residencies and pop-ups, but also we're sat now in your in your in your restaurant. Mm. Something I'd be quite interested to hear is what's different. Is it harder running pop-ups, or how does it differ from having a pop-up to your own bricks and mortar place? It's actually it was surprising. It was always obviously a dream somewhere down the line that this would lead to a restaurant. We never thought it would happen in six months that we'd have our own place that we owned. But it's been a strong learning curve because with with uh, the residencies, there's no there's no pressure. Well, there's not as much pressure uh, financially because you, there's no risk. You could technically we could leave any one of them at that time, and there wouldn't be anything any sort of uh, consequences for it apart from that you'd have to find other work for your staff, perhaps. <clears throat> but now, obviously, with the restaurant. Well, it's more serious. It means we have we have Overhead, the bills to pay, and we have and we're on the contract, and and we're on the lease. And yeah. it's also the different members of staff. So, you know, say for example, we can do we can take a thousand pounds in one night in our burger restaurant when, on two members of staff because it's you're set up for burgers, you're doing this, that, and the other. To make a thousand pounds at the restaurant, you need someone to serve the food, someone to wash the plates, yeah. someone to do this, and, and someone to run the bar, someone to run yeah. the bar. But then the potential for five people to make. Five thousand pounds. It, it, it's 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 something we're learning. It's it's a, it is an incredibly different model, and, and especially moving into the booze situation as well. We both. I mean, Jack and I are. You know, we're not. Uh, we're not sort of bar people. Mm. We both never worked. I mean, I, we frequented enough bars. <laughs> we pretty much know <laughs> what, what's going all? on. And, and yeah. we, you know, we enjoy we enjoy drinking. We enjoy cocktails. We enjoy mm. natural wine. But looking at the, the the sort of the sales and the GPs and trying to just trying to. Get our heads around that is 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 a sort of new task in itself. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. are some of the challenges you've had in because it's it's not a conventional way of no like a restaurant. You know, that's the thing no. you do. You're doing it in a quite unconventional way. So, what are some of the challenges sure. that you've had? Um, I mean, the mo- the biggest challenge in the whole thing. You know what? It hasn't been particularly hard to get weirdly to get to where you are, but the most it could maybe that's just that things have been lucky in our in our path, or maybe it's because the attitude we've done. 
the, the staff is the only thing that's like it's been the hardest thing to manage and that probably is that's the only variable actually in all of this is people yeah right everything else should run as it, it runs the numbers should run as it runs but people are always the issue in whichever way because um, you're looking for a, a certain level of quality or because it's the industry where people come and go yeah and students I mean, or, a combination of all of that yeah. really you know you know the moods the moods an atmosphere and a residency can change if we like, could just have like all that. of us that'll be we can hire ourselves ten times over. Yeah. but no it's i mean you know the chefs are people and and i mean speaking openly there's there's it's um the an issue of mental health uh, issues mm. is, is right within chefs and because yeah. the work's tough the pay's bad the hours are rubbish that is something that has surprised me quite a lot yeah. how, just how much of our, our I mean I don't want to say too much I don't know if, but it's an issue it's a massive issue yeah. and the percentage of, of people that have mental health issues in even our small thing is, is too big yeah yeah um, so we try and give so we're trying to give them the most the more support that you can it's 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 um, it's just it's a balancing act. Mm. It's, it's a balancing act. But I mean, we get we get fantastic quality chefs who are happy to do things for us because you know if we say look, we're going to spend you're going to spend two months here, but then when we open the next place, it's got your name on it, and yeah. this whole incentive led thing is has worked really well for us. And we try and get mm. the, we get we are ending up getting the best out of our. Costume. As you say, it's not a traditional model. Mm. Uh, we don't know anybody else particularly that's what, are doing what we're doing. Um. And we do actually, and I think maybe it's because we, you know, operating from the from the, the top down, but from we've been at every level of all of our staff, which is quite interesting. So we know the way that they will react to some things, or we you know we're kind of we're more in it all together um, rather than somebody in charge and de- you know telling people, and that's worked quite well for us. I think the fact as well that you mentioned earlier, I don't know if this was when we were recording or when we were walking over here, but you know, quite often you're in the kitchen yeah. still, mm. even at this point, and. And that probably also plays in a lot to the the fact that you've got a good team is that they see you yeah. in in amongst them doing yeah. you know you're not just kind of these lofty people at the well, top of the street because we've, we've worked in so many places where the, the the owners are absentee or or whatever and, and they come in demand something that, and you're like that's totally unreasonable because you're not here we need we need yeah. to see. We need to see what is fair. Or even, for us. God forbid, they're coming and work. <laughs> yeah, I know. We need <laughs> to see just, what, what's fair to ask yeah. of them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's, that's a good trait to have mm. in a leader and a manager. Mm. I got very serious, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, that <laughs> did really go heavy, didn't it? Yeah. Harris always asks the hard hit questions. <laughs> My questions are more along the lines of, what's, Would you what's your favourite <laughs> Where did the name Wolf's Mouth come from? Aside from being hard to say, it is quite <laughs> um, this is a. I, I, I basically I, I nabbed it from a. There's an Italian phrase in Bocca al Lupo, which means into the wolf's mouth, which oh God, which, which kind of translates. It's, it's what Italian people would say. Say if you're about to go on stage, break a leg. So like take, you could do walk into take a walk risk. into take a risk, walk yeah. into the jaws of the wolf. And there's a there's a res- response I can't remember. It's something like "May the wolf leave hungry." May the wolf so, be with you. May the wolf be hungry. <laughs> yeah, so you walk into the mouth, the wolf's mouth, and hopefully you walk back out again, and he stays hungry. That kind of vibe. So it's the idea of it's, it was it was all quite visual for me, and I've been playing around. You know, I, you know, there's um, uh, there's obviously the Italian phrase, and because uh, I love I love Italian food, and it all sort of stemmed from there, and then. That was years ago. I was probably just thinking on the, on the bus home. Like, oh, I wonder if I open a restaurant, it would be this, that, yeah. and the other. 
Um, but yeah, it came into fruition that we could actually name something it, and I was like, wicked. I'll That's that. a really good answer. Yeah. I thought you were just going to say, because it's cool. It sounds cool. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it, it has, whether now it has more meaning to us than it did at the time we just, you know, we decided oh. on it. Um, it certainly means something now. Most people won't get it, or right. still don't get or it, can't spell it, can't pronounce it. it. <laughs> <laughs> which is great for a brand. It's just what you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some um, catchy and unsayable. You're talking to two people whose day jobs are marketing right so right. <laughs> so that's an interesting point because you um your your brand is wolf's mouth mm. i can say it <laughs> good yeah but then you know you've got different Lots of sub different... brands within that so yeah. how aware are public and your customers of wolf's mouth uh yeah we've we've always tried to keep our sort of brand slightly separated between venues because brighton hates a chain and we didn't want to risk being known or being believed to be something bigger than we were, some sort of nameless corporation, you know. Mm. Um, and so at the beginning we did we did separate it all out. And I don't know whether it was a good idea or not. I'm still not 100% sure. Um, but actually the more, the, the more we've done and the, and the bigger we've got, it's almost become less important to have the brand. Because yeah. we thought Wolf's Mouth was going to be very much a kind of the street food uh, yeah sort of company that would be known and be very strong and it would have three concepts but as it's grown we found ourselves doing a lot more variety of food and now obviously our restaurant isn't called Wolf's Mouth at all mm-hmm. it's called the Paradiso Social and it's like completely unrelated um, but for those in the know I quite like it's almost like the in-joke kind of thing you know people the people that know know that we have all these sites mm. but for the people that don't know and certainly for the for the brands that we work with and the venues we work with it's almost better that it's not like an exclusive thing because otherwise I'd hate the idea of people like, oh, it's another Wolf's Mouth venue. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't want to be those people. I want it to be that people go somewhere and be like, they have an amazing meal, they have great food, and then they find out afterwards it was yeah. us. But, but for those people that do know, can come in and be like, ah, oh, that, that's a sign yeah. of like a seal of quality maybe and they can go, in my head that's what it yeah. is, whether it is true or not. Um, and they might sense. go to the venue. Well, that was it. I mean, originally when, like, just following on from what Jack said, like, it was all going to be conceptual. So we wanted a burger place, a pizza place, a fried chicken place, and a taco place. That was the, that was the initial goal. Um, And I think we were were a bit sort of blindsided by the idea that sometimes these venues aren't going to be appropriate for that. So what we found pretty soon after launching some of these, that we had to go into the venue um, and operate as the customers would want, not as what we going with and, and it's mm. just so happened that we've moved away from this conceptual idea and we're now sort of just providing good food that we're trying to make recognizable yeah so how do you decide uh what you're going to be serving in wherever it is you're doing it your residency completely depends on the venue we design yeah. the menu individually for that venue yeah so how do you decide that based on what they were serving in the past what sold well customer feedback <laughs> when we put a brand new menu in uh we will make it very clear that that is fluid for the first month so as a lot of it is based on the numbers that we get from sales. A lot of it is based on what the customers and, and it, it, like especially important is what the staff think because there's no point us implementing a menu with, with great kitchen staff and great front of house staff if they're not enjoying the product. And also limitate, we, we franchise kitchens in old pubs. Mm. So sometimes we'll walk into a kitchen like, well, we can't do anything but mm. something here. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I mean, we, we haven't gone too wrong yet. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> so... It's yeah. difficult to know what, how we actually decide it. I mean, we probably, I think we have a lot of menus and a lot of concepts in our heads. And it's kind of, you find an appropriate... I mean, you can see, well, we're opening the next one in uh, the beginning of August. 
This venue is a very traditional place in a very busy, touristic part of town. And just for purely the business idea that you look at the where the location of it, you're going to have so many foreign tourists yeah. in that area. And what they would like to do is go to a, an old English-looking pub and have a traditional-looking menu. So you're they, not going to put tacos in there because that would be it wouldn't work. So they wouldn't be interested in the panko pig's ears. <laughs> exactly, no. exactly. Because which, it yeah, ye old English crispy pig's ears, yeah. couldn't you? Which, by the way, <laughs> I am interested in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we're not tourists. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So it um, says on your website that you look to use ingredients that might otherwise be overlooked, and mm. and you mentioned before we were recording that you you know have some. Really really interesting takes on on food in all these different places that you're working at so mm. can you tell us a bit more about that i mean i've just read out this this you know <laughs> yeah. pieces. the wonderful thing about bryson is it's very very vegetarian heavy mm. um which in our, like, and vegan and right? vegan so yeah. so when we wrote that on the, on the website initially it's because a lot of our meat based food would, would always have a recognizable cup Mm. something like rump or, or something and then we'd use something slightly less known something a bit more offerly now that doesn't appeal to everyone but um we found that if you dress it up a little bit something like that then then it was received quite well what we're now finding is we're actually sort of applying that idea to vegetables as well and we're trying to champion the idea that you get incredibly good produce around um around Sussex and we're trying to move away from the idea that vegans and stuff if they want this food then they should be eating too much seitan or traditional things when we so our vegan dishes aren't necessarily uh meat substitutes dressed up as a meat plate what we're going is like taste these courgettes we're going to use everything we're going to use the courgette in five different ways and your dish is just going to be courgettes and something do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so the the ethos is you know as little waste as possible yeah uh trying to buy as organic and local yeah. as possible and um and also i mean your, your gps are way better if you're using stuff <laughs> that it's more, it's a goal, a bit, inevitably it becomes more on like an unrecognized one using ingredient because we try and use if we use an animal we use, try and use the whole thing yeah of course um, yeah. or even down to vegetables it'll all be used it'll all be and so you you maybe get a dish where you'll have the courgette skin or one of our cucumber dishes which is very popular here we basically, we'll peel the cucumbers, we'll cure them, and then we use the skins to blend into like a flavoursome paint, which we dress it all in. Oh. And so, what most people would throw away, or what, and yeah. we we use. And, and also, so, just the boldness of putting a dish that's just cucumbers on the menu. Yeah, you know, and I think people, you know, you get a decent price on it, and people are just going to go for, like pick it just because yeah. they might as well, and then they end up being really surprised in a really good way. I actually yeah. like cucumber. Yeah. This, this yeah, all sounds really really good. I'm just looking at the menu, and actually. Um, obviously we're quite lucky that we live in Bristol which is another kind of foodie hotspot and the same thing a lot of vegan a lot of vegetarian food but um, what you're doing here is very similar to what I think we're seeing in restaurants which is that actually it doesn't have to be a veggie sausage it can Mm. be a a plate of vegetables just done in an interesting way where that vegetable becomes the star and it's not a meat oh you you can't have a steak on that place so we'll give Mm. you a Exactly. And we work, luckily, we've got very good. So there's uh, the open market, literally five minute walk from here. And we work quite closely with the supplier in there. And he basically buys all the wonky veg and he'll pick up pallets and pallets and pallets of it. And he'll never, you never know what, he's never going to have the same thing twice. So he'll go, yeah, so he'll go, guys, you know what? I've got four boxes of aubergines. They're all a bit misshaped, but it's going to be yours, you know, three quid a box. Do you want them? We're like, 
yes, and we'll yeah. just distribute into the sites. Yeah. So guys, put a special on, do this, do this, and that, and then because this is stuff that you know Tesco's and Sainsbury's have this like discarded yeah. and which is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It sort of works for everyone. So, do each of the the chefs in your various residencies have their own autonomy? Yeah, yeah, they do to an extent. I mean, we we tend to go and we'll write the initial menus. Um, or will will that's because that's that's what makes our brand our brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will definitely have autonomy to to create new dishes, and we'll let yeah. them. What we would love is for them to be, for it to be completely passed on, um, and they will write their own menus and they'll write any things. The only thing is that we'll write certainly for our burgers and our pizzas. We'll write them um, quite specifically because we know those are the ones that we have our are affordable or usable, or have ingredients that are seasonally available. Uh, and they 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 seem like our food. Yeah. Um, you give them the template, and they fill in the fruity yeah, bits. Yeah, yeah. Just very quickly, bringing it back to the burgers. So, Karis and mm. I went to the World's End yesterday and mm. had an obscene amount of food for our lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had a I'm a I'm a meat eater, but I had the barbecue seitan burger. Mm. And you guys make your own seitan. Yes. Which I don't think I've ever <laughs> come across before, and it was. Bloody nice. Good. Yeah. Bloody nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you have a question? <laughs> um, how do you make seitan? <laughs> um, seitan is basically a product called wheat gluten uh, mixed with uh, spices and flavourings and water. So it's effectively just, uh, I, it's still a little bit magic and I don't understand it. Uh, it's just, it's imagine when you're, when you're making uh, breads, and you keep working the flour and it starts to become stringy and, and what have you. This product is like that times a million. So uh, we basically make a, like if you add say, to, uh, wheat gluten to water and knead it and steam it, you've got the texture of seitan. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we tried to elevate it and we've added uh, kidney beans and porridge oats and a few other things just and a load of spices, a load mm-hmm. of herbs. Um, we're not really looking for the textural flavour of meat. We're just looking for something that's yeah. a vessel for us. But as a burger, it it it, oh. it is chunky and mm. tasty. It holds and up. Holds up. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when we were shocked as you are. Oh This is probably the only thing. Obviously, we've spoken about championing vegetables, and that's something that we do. We will not use a substitute unless it's kind of. But for a burger, I think. But you, for yeah. a burger, it needs because we do we did an aubergine burger and things, and it. I mean. The, just purely from a sales point of view, at some point you've got to think about making some money. <laughs> and for, for a vegetarian or vegan option, it was it's actually made sense at that point because we yeah. could use it in exactly the same way we'd use our beef burgers. And yeah. therefore, the, the flavours were transferable. Um, but it was quite an interesting thing. That was one of the first things that we did that was like a substitute yeah. of well, it. I mean, but, the thing is, we wouldn't want to buy it in. No. Because, mm. you know, we like having yeah. control of this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I can what tell you that... That's Satan loaded up with onion rings, <laughs> cheese, <laughs> uh, more onions. It was, yeah, yeah. it was delish. Awesome. Good, thank you. Mm. Yeah. Tell me, what is the, what are, what are the trends that you're enjoying at the moment when it comes to food? What are the trends we're looking at? I mean, there was a big trend for sort of Japanese stuff that was, I mean, obviously it's been enormous probably for the last couple of years. Um, and that's kind of found its way into lots of the work that we do lots of the food that we do will have something interesting with a Japanese element Um, certainly with some of the burgers there's lots of of, uh, miso and soy sauce and things like that used Mm -hmm. 
uh, across the board, really. Mm-hmm. And it's those <clears throat> the base levels of, of Japanese food, which I think are most exciting for me, uh, that create this umami uh, sort of monotone layer at oh, yeah. the, the base for every dish, which is like a really exciting thing. Especially as it comes For vegetarian food, food yeah. vegan food. So mm. for what that would naturally come in is would be for meat, for beef and for stocks, mm. which would be the base of obviously all French cooking. Um, but for exciting vegan food, the Japanese flavors yeah. have really like revolutionized the way we can we can make those yeah. flavors, recreate those flavors. I'd say as well something sort of somewhere along those lines is um, food trend wise is casual dining, which I don't think people see as a trend as such because it's not too specific. Mm. But it's definitely something that we've we've worked out because I think the diet, like from a dining point of view now, especially when you go out to eat, I think less people. More people are now moving away from the idea of sitting somewhere for two hours, spending a fortune. Now it's readily available to go grab a bite somewhere. And if you do decide to sit down for a while, you want the, you know, you don't want anyone in a shirt and tie serving yeah. you. And you want to be able to get a nice strong drink and it ought to be a bit fun. So I think the, the idea is Jack and I haven't taken, we've taken it seriously, but we want the menus to be fun fun and casual and mm. do you think this is partly why you you like the idea of kind of small plates and yeah definitely yeah. um like certainly here this this is exactly the sort of ethos that we want here is that we can be you can make serious food but it can be it can be fun and it we shouldn't make anybody feel uncomfortable yeah like on, often on our menus i mean certainly at the beginning we would use a lot of more japan of the sort of ingredient led words wording which we understood, but I realised you'd read back through and most people wouldn't understand mm-hmm. 6% of the words. And all that, that gives you a sense of superiority at the beginning. <laughs> Ultimately, it's just dumb because yeah, people, people don't know what it. they're eating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you can use those ingredients, uh, but there's no, no no reason to sort of to show off about it. So. Undersell and over-deliver. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our dishes, I mean, some of our dishes are on this menu have got served with popcorn, for instance, <laughs> and stuff mm. like that, like the chicken that comes with it. Um, so that nothing we don't take ourselves any of all the food particularly seriously, which has works in our favour in that people will come in and see that it looks a fun menu, then it will come out and it will be hopefully much better than they were even expecting at the beginning. Um, yeah. So what's the next food trend? Peruvian, probably. Yeah. Peruvian. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Brighton that is... so unexpected. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... I mean, Brighton's probably about five years behind London. I would say trend right. wise, and Bristol's probably 30. I think. I mean, <laughs> oh, I mean, wow. Okay. No, you got... hey, oh, it's even further behind us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've you got these guys, you've got the guys, the big, the big hitters in London, like Andina and Pachamama, yeah. uh, knocking out. I mean, I don't, I think the Peruvian idea is we can broaden it to South America and we can broaden it to. Mm. Um, just lighter, spicier, healthier food. I mean, you see, we see in poke being a big thing now. and um, But the idea of eating ceviche and the idea of eating all these sort of ancient grains and stuff, yeah. it really fits with the idea of health and veganism and because the, the, the cuisine itself is totally inter- is interchangeable mm. with those kinds And the of style things. of simplicity in the cooking is <clears throat> quite yeah. specific to that kind of region. Even the way that, obviously, you think of South American food, it's often meat-heavy. Yeah. But if simplicity take, in the way it's cooked yeah. it hasn't. And you take the sauces and the marinades, and you can yeah. apply that to a lot of things. Mm. But yeah, we, yeah, we we love that. I mean, it's the kind of food that chefs are eating as well. So right. obviously, uh, often chefs will create the trends because they're going out to eat their, their mates' places and stuff. So that's why the idea of um, 
uh, yakitori stuff is really big now because people just want to eat meat on skewers. Yakitori is huge in Bristol. Yeah, I yeah. think I think maybe I mean I think Bristol is the, the best place ever. Um, <laughs> but and I don't take kindly to your comments. But in all seriousness, at the moment there is a bit of a boom in Bristol with. Um, yeah, East Asian flavours generally, yeah. but um, yakitori yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yakitori is huge. Although, and... way more expensive than in Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. a few places here, and you've got Peg that's just opened up in London by the, like, the guys who opened Bright and P. Franco. <clears throat> Instagram just full of me mm. on sticks. And, and it is, you know, it's, I mean, I guess they're sort of taking something quite um, rudimentary and quite simple dressing it up and then dressing it down and then putting it in a in a in front of you is actually quite like yeah, people look at and go and look at Brat and look at all these other places in London that are just basically here is some incredible produce mm. cooked over some charcoal with a banging sauce on it and these places are you know they mm. fits that casual theme yeah, yeah it's exactly. the simplicity people yeah. are, people I think are tired of, of fussy food yeah um, and it, you know you look at I mean there are still some very big names in the, the world's 50 best of the kind of the, the gastronomic uh, molecular gastronomy and stuff but I think people are probably a bit done with it yeah. people actually just want to eat a plate of food now rather than have something turned into a foam exactly with you know yeah. an I oil and this and that you, what you want is something substantial that's, it. that's why ingredient led cooking I think is probably the biggest trend yeah. I think that's where we're going yeah is simple ingredients cooked very well accompanied by an ingredient yeah mm. um yeah last question what's next Bristol <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that's definitely, it's definitely always come up on our radar. I mean, London would be... Terrifying. Well, yeah. I mean, look, we have options to go to London if we wanted to, but I think it wouldn't be, it isn't, it doesn't match what we want to do. So Bristol is the the, the logical choice. I think Jack and I wanted, we've basically, we've we've pushed it for, we're coming up for our second year in, we're probably 18 months into this project. Um, We're going to push it as far as, we had, we've got rough plans written on napkins and stuff that we have over (laughs) beers. Something that I'd be really keen on, we're both really keen on, is uh, spending a bit of time potentially in the new year doing some international Mm -hmm. pop-ups. We have a link with a couple of people in LA. Uh, We potentially got two uh, pop-ups in Lisbon uh, on the cards, Mm -hmm. Paris. We want to just, we want to sort of do some more cooking for ourselves. Yeah. So I know it sounds a bit greedy, but you know, just to almost do it as a working holiday. Well, the ideas have got to come from somewhere. Yeah, well, that's it. And then, yeah, I mean, branching out to another city makes, makes sense. Um, yeah. That was a selfish question. <laughs> no, no. I mean, genuinely, Bristol is, was always the top of, of what we've spoken about. It's the next place that we will go to. Yeah. Basically, it just sounds like wolves want to have fun. That's <laughs> it. Wolves just want to have fun. Write that down. <laughs> Get on a T-shirt. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That is all we've got time for. That was awesome. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll no doubt like some of our others. So please do take time to listen to our back catalogue, which you can find on any podcast platform you use or our website at thesource.com. If you really enjoyed it, consider supporting us through Patreon, like our newest patrons, Lynn Serino and Eliza Morland. Thank you so much to both of you for supporting our food stories. In return for helping us make the podcast even better, we're offering special behind-the-scenes recordings and more. Take a look at patreon.com slash at the source for more information.